Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. All right, and welcome back to the Often a Tangent podcast. Uh, the podcast that is actually dying from heat and is ready for it to be winter again. Uh, first off, I'd like to say a huge thank you to everyone who's uh, streamed, tuned in, followed, subscribed, and all the platforms that the podcast has gone up on. It's been an absolute manic few days uh, with me trying to sort of get the podcast out there, um, get it approved and things like that, and and sort of doing all the social medias. But it's, it's all been worth it, the feedback. The, the tweets, the DMs, uh, of all you know, are all really greatly appreciated. Um, we are full steam ahead. Uh, this is happening, and I'm here to stay, which I am very thankful for. So, from the bottom of my heart, thank you very much. Uh, moving on to social medias, if you do want to follow me on social media, my personal Twitter is at James Reese Eight. That's at James R W S Eight. Uh, if you'd like to contact the podcast on Twitter, it's at James on a Tangent. And if you have any inquiries or just want to email me, it's at James on a Tangent at gmail.com. Uh, if you go onto the Twitter, you'll see that I have uh, created a thread of any links you can find me at uh, and also links to where you can find the properties that I talked about in the last podcast. So that's Pride, Daredevil, Star Wars, and spider-man on the ps1 uh this week uh we are joined by a very very dear friend of mine a very old friend of mine uh sam mellows and sam is an absolute fantastic human being and a very interesting bloke as well so uh let's welcome sam onto the show hello fella yeah how are you yeah, I'm good, mate. I'm good. Lovely to have you on. I'm really excited for this one. When I, when I emailed, not emailed you, when I texted you the other day, is that do you want to be on a podcast? Uh, you jumped at the opportunity straight away because I know you love to talk <laughs> no, about yourself no, I, a lot. I love to help out a friend, but also, yeah, I do love, love to talk about myself, but not in a bad way, not in an egotistical way. No. Uh, so quickly, uh, do you have any social medias or any, any other things uh, you want to plug? Social media, here? Samuel Mellows at, uh, on good old Instagram. Uh, and also, uh, I, I'm on another podcast myself uh, for WRR Live, which is a wrestling podcast. I'm sure that'll come up at some point in this uh, conversation we'll have. Uh, but it's their podcast uh, is Pod at Revolution on Instagram. Pod at Revolution 
uh, oh no, it's Pod of Revolution. Pod of Revolution on yeah, both Instagram, Twitter, and also Facebook. Uh, we're a group of five guys talking about wrestling every week, uh, and it's a real fun uh, podcast. Yeah, so please listen. Uh, I can't, couldn't, couldn't stress it enough. I'll be sure to um, link them definitely on Twitter and I'll put them in the description of the podcast as well. So, uh, as we discussed last week, um, we're going to be talking about four sort of pieces of media that mean a lot uh, to people and have had some sort of effect or something that they just love. So, um, when Sam listened to the podcast and I said to him, I was like, look, you know, find four things that, uh, that mean you know, something to you. He texted me back instantly with three and then quite quickly again with another one. Um, so, the, you know, I know this is going to be a good one. So we're talking about the first one. Uh, and Sam's choice is actually Toy Story. Now, the Toy Story franchise has been entertaining families around the world since the first one released all the way back in 1995. So that's before I was born. Since then, another three have emerged, and the films have broke records all around the world, following the adventures of Woody, Buzz, and all their friends throughout a myriad of different adventures, from being separated from their owner to being sold to a toy collector in Japan. The Toy Story franchise is truly a benchmark of Disney and Pixar's quality. Sam, why do you love oh, the what, Toy Story what's not to love? Uh, I fully admit, at the age of, grand old age of 28, uh, I still cry at each one of them. Uh, they're a feel-good factor. Uh, being an uncle, and I have been an uncle since the age of four, uh, I've been the predominant uh, uncle who watches every Disney movie. And what a great franchise to sit and watch. Uh, each one of them tells such a beautiful, and I mean beautiful, tale. Uh, Ray, from being your nervous character, Rex, the dinosaur, who should be this big, huge, scary character, but actually is this very timid one, to the street smart Mr. Potato Head, um, to the loving friends of Buzz and Woody. Uh, it's just a, a lovely array of characters that can be seen through such ages, be it uh, a little kid watching at age of four to a guy at the age of tw- uh, 24 or 44. Each film and each character means something different to everyone. I, that's why I love them, because it's so diverse and brings so many good morals yeah, I think sort of for me growing up with the with the Toy Stories, so I would have been, you know, I was born two years after the first one came out, so uh, all that was that was new to me. So Toy Story one, I would have watched at a very young age, probably with my, with my parents, and then uh, the sequel, Toy Story two, um, was something that I remember watching. It was something I was old enough to to form a memory of, and I think you can make the case that certain films have better sequels than their originals. And I think Toy Story 2 is definitely one in that consideration. It, it, it's something that you can argue is the perfect sequel. Definitely. Uh, and there are, there, are, there are films that, you know, come under that bracket, but I think that, that, that's that got to be at the top of the list. And like you said, that film takes stereotypes of uh, people, animals, and the things, and flips them on their head, you know? they that the, the Rex one is perfect. You know, a big hulking T-Rex dinosaur is almost scared of his own shadow and scared of his own ability to, to do something. And I think in a kid's film, that, that's something you need to teach. You know, you're not defined by what society sets out for you. And 
then, then that's sort of what at the core Toy Story is. So I, you're completely right in saying that. And, and the, the, the stories that the films tell are, are fantastic. And I, I, I will wholeheartedly admit I haven't watched the fourth one yet, but all I've heard is absolutely fantastic things. It, it, some people may not love it, but I absolutely love it because it just proves that a franchise can take some time off and still come back and make an absolutely banging good film. Um, and also for me, the story in it is brilliant. Uh, without doing any spoilers, but it proves that women are strong. They're not just the background mm. background character. They are strong and dominant. Um, the faith between friends, the the love of each other is just so prominent in this film. And it, it's lovely because for me, when that day comes, I have children. I want to watch, I want them to watch these films to learn yeah, the morals of, of life. And I think number four shows a lot to them. I won't go on too much because I know it's still a film that some people haven't watched, including yourself, James. Uh, and I don't want to. Mm-hmm. I don't want to do spoilers. I'm not that type of guy. I, I think as well. Like uh, having done obviously for this part a bit of research into them as well. The the, the legacy of uh, everyone who worked on this film because Toy Story was, was the first Pixar film, of course, and kicked off the, all all the Pixar. Um, a franchise which we, which we come to know and love today and is you know arguably the biggest animated franchise in the world but even deeper than that you, you the people who wrote the film went on uh, have gone on to write you know countless other things one of the screenplay writers for the first uh, film was Joss Whedon of course he went on to write uh, the Avengers uh, is the one that comes to mind the most you've also got um, Joel Cohen of the Cohen brothers yeah who who, who who wrote, uh, you know, Cheaper by the Dozen. Uh, he, he wrote, you know, Money Talks and also Garfield as well. So the, it, it gave that platform to, to people in the 90s who, who, yes, were doing things, but sort of elevated them as well. And of course, when you get two of the biggest sort of actors from the 90s in Tom Hanks and Tim Allen, you're, you're on a recipe for success. Oh, yeah, definitely. Tom Hanks, one of the greatest um, actors of all time. I don't think anyone can dispute that. Um, the guy I mean, beats COVID as well. Um, so it yes, proves it. Yes, of course. Um, and the, the, the thing for me is then you have uh, Tim Allen, who for me growing up was also in Home Improvements. Um, and I truly thought that it was just a lovely thing that for me growing up, I didn't really care about the voices. I cared about the characters. And now looking back, and yeah. I think these guys are playing characters who haven't aged, yet the actors themselves have, but they still sound as young as they did back in the early 90s. Um, and another thing I love about that is the, the joy that you hear the stories from the characters, like creation. So like how Buzz at one point was going to have a completely different voice merely because mm. that's how the mindset was of this is how I'm going to play it, this is how I'm going to do it. And then in the studio when recording the voice, came up with this completely different voice that helped the character grow even more. And that's creativity at its greatest. Um, and I also love the fact that the from the first movie to the most recent movie, they haven't tried to make a big thing of, oh, 
it's time's gone on, let's make the characters older. It's not like Woody's then got a, well, a Zimmer frame because it's been a certain amount of years on. He's still young and fruitful as he was in the first film, but has learned a lot yeah. in life, which shows the time difference between each film. It's almost like us as humans, we learn from our mistakes and that's what the toys are doing. Um, even when Andy's coming and they all have to drop down, pretend they're just toys, they learn. It's almost a routine, but not in a bad way. Yeah, and the the, the whole, you know, what you said is is completely true. And I want to go back to, I just want to go back to that that point you made about sort of Tim Allen, especially. Tim Allen was someone who I grew up with in a completely different film franchise, and that was the Santa Claus one. And he was sort of Disney's golden boy throughout the 90s and, and especially the early 2000s as well. Um, and not a lot of people know his. He had a he nearly lost his um, Disney contract because he had a criminal record. And Tim Allen now as a person, yes, he's a bit of you know a controversial character in his political endorsements, but Let's not forget that he he was an actor with a criminal record who couldn't you know couldn't get many jobs and you know sometimes that's the reality for a lot of people in the world. Oh yeah, and you know he went on to voice the arguably, arguably one of the most recognisable not just animated characters but film characters in the world who who has a quote that transcends the films you know. The, the phrase to infinity and beyond is known throughout the world, whether you know Toy Story or not. Yeah, very good for uh, affirmations uh, in life. If yes, you want to, if you want to affirmate, very affirmate someone, to infinity and beyond is a great one. And also, if you want to pick someone up, use that quote. Mm. It's worked on me and worked. Do, do you me. have a particular standout scene that you love in the Toy Story in the Toy Story franchise? Um, for me, it's it. I've got two. There's two that I can't pick one's more than the other and it's the scene the whole scene at the end of number one where they're trying to race to get onto the back of the um removal truck uh it's a predominant scene of we've got this we've got this and no we haven't we haven't but yet the team dynamic and determination to go no we have actually got this uh, and then one thing, I've, I, another scene that I know I've discussed with you, but the scene in uh, number three, uh, which I actually thought was going to be the end of the film, but it wasn't. But um, yes. the classic Inferno scene that made everyone from being one years old to 101 years old cry like a little baby. Um, and some, for some ages would have cried because they were like, oh no, a, a toy's going to be burnt. Compared to an older age would be like, that's the character I grew up with. And mm. it was also that beautiful moment of friends like lasting to the end. Um, and I, that's why I can't pick out which one is my mo- most favourite and most phenomenal uh, like scene. I think that's interesting because that second one is definitely a step away from the norm of what people would say is uh, sort of their favourite scenes. Are. And I think... You, you go to the more normal ones, like you said, the end of the first film, uh, probably the end of the second film. Um, you know, there's a lot of part I'm biased towards the second one, and my favourite part of the, the franchise is is the plane bit in in the second film, where they're you know racing to go. And I remember watching that and think, 
wow, you know, and the sense of scale you get. Mm. And, and I think when you talk about when you talk about Toy Story, you can't not talk about the music. Oh, agreed. The iconic Randy Newman song, um, You've Got a Friend in Me, uh, is something that is, isn't just the films. It's a fantastic song mm. in general. And there's a great film detail. Um, the, the, the start of the first film, the, the song is played, and it's just Randy Newman singing. Mm. And that, you know, Woody's the only character in, in Andy's life. He's the only you know, friend in, in Andy's life. And at the end of the first film, the it's sung by two people, yeah. you know, to signify that Andy has now got another person in his life. And, you know, the, the sentiment is still the same. You're still his friend and, and you're his best friend or whatever, but there's someone else. And it's, it's also interesting, like referring back to um, when you talked about Star Wars on the first episode, um, the throughout the the saga of the Toy Story franchise, the music you could close your eyes or be a, a person who hasn't got sight, and you could kind of tell just from the music what's going on, or maybe not what's going on, yeah. but how the toys are feeling. Because um, even to the detail of in the second film when they're trying to cross the road to Al's toy barn in the cones. If you listen, very, listen in the background, it's not just the car noises. There's a slight bit of music in the background to the point that it makes you go, oh, we kind of want you in this seat. Is one of them going to get run over in the cone? But it's not. It's yeah. it's a lovely touch there. And throughout the film, like especially in the fourth one, and I know you'll love it when you get to watch it, the certain areas that they go to in the film, the music's picked perfectly for how it is in America. Like I, I went to San Francisco and then Oakland on my honeymoon a few years back and there the music from one, one um, town to another who are right next to each other or just across a bay, mm. it's a completely different style. And it was the same in the movie that when they went from one area, you could hear one style of music to go to another area in the film yeah. and it's a completely different style of music, but it doesn't seem out of touch with each other. It seems so smooth hmm. and so... It, it's the thing that the first film came out in 95, did you say? And, 1995, yeah, and yeah. It's now 2020. And the thing is, that music hasn't aged. That music no. sounds like it's literally just been made last week. And that is so beautiful that they're able to create the music for such a beautiful saga franchise that you can look back and go, I don't feel like this film's aged. And yes, the the anima, anim, animation of it all has changed, but for the better. But it's proven little mm, touches. Course, like yeah. The fact that I, I love the term Easter eggs in all of Disney. Yes. But if you watch Toy Story, I've actually sat down and watched all four Toy Story just for the Easter eggs and that sounds so nerd of me mm-hmm. but I'm that type of nerd yeah. I will sit there and look out for um, a ball or in one of the films there's a, um, a painting on the wall which references a different film and people will deny yeah. and go oh no it's just, just a coincidence no it's been done deliberately because they can it's mm-hmm. the joy of yeah. um, like artistry. Like when I did my media studies in GCSEs, we had a whole section on creating things for the mind to see the front or what's in the background. And 
deliberately so well done that you can see maybe an ant in the background well actually that ant is from a bug's life and i yeah. love in um, the second film when the guys are trying to escape andy's house to go to al's toy barn they they go through the the bushes and you've actually got um the the two characters from uh, a bug's life and it's a yeah there, there was there was an alternate scene yeah, wasn't it, there? yeah. it's a lovely little tip of the hat to another film and it all makes makes you want to think mm-hmm. oh what where are these characters from um but also the fact that the toys themselves for me growing up i had a slinky i didn't have a slinky dog but i had a slinky yeah, you had a yeah. slinky. Yeah, you you would have had and a slinky, and everyone had a cowboy type thing, and everyone had a spaceman, oh, yeah. and everyone had like everyone had a piggy bank, and you know, so it's the, even the little things that you don't necessarily mm. you take for granted, almost like little plastic wood, uh, little plastic soldiers, or um, uh, you know, and like I said, a piggy bank. You know, who would have thought a piggy bank would have been one of the most iconic oh, characters definitely. from from a kids um, franchise? And like the, in the third film, you've got. Um, the wonderful villainous um, Lotso, who's Lotso Hugging Bear, famous in America, not so much here in England, but famous mm-hmm. in America for being the loved toy that smells of strawberries. It's age old, before even yeah. Toy Story was around. And they were able to bring a character mm-hmm. from real life into it and make him actually the complete opposite to what he is in real life. Loved by yeah. um, children of America and actually really really well sold but in the film made the villain made this but his story was a beautiful one to be told the fact that how he became the way he was a bit like stinky pete in number two how they were kind of left out and you sometimes as a human can feel like that you do get angry you do feel do feel like you're left in the corner and I, i know i have myself that you feel like you get to the point where, like, no, if someone new comes along, I am going to be trying to be the boss. I am going to go, no, you can't leave. Not so much, like, in a weird way, but in the fact of, like, no, I'm in control. And that's that's what Lotso had. And it was a beautiful character that, for kids, they would see and go, oh, no, it's the bad guy, boo, like in a panto. But for us adults, we're yeah. seeing the moral and the stories behind it. And that's what I love, that, there are those things in the franchise that us as adults will see and go, ha ha, kids won't laugh at, but then vice versa. No. It's those little adult jokes <laughs> that are done, that aren't rude, but they are deliberately put in so that us adults will understand. Yeah, and, and the, the Easter egg thing is something that I love. And in, in a way, uh, the Toy Story films are the granddaddy of uh, animated Easter eggs because... You know, every Pixar film that comes after it references something from Toy Story, or most of them do. And there's a great book, and I'll recommend this to the viewers as well, by John Negroni called The Pixar Theory, where he was he was the man who popularized the theory that every film is connected in some sort of in one universe. And there's there's multiple YouTube videos on it as well, but I highly recommend going out and finding the book. You can get it on Amazon. There was a, I, I saw a lovely uh, Instagram post not so long ago that said, um, forget DC, you want to really watch the DCU, and it was the Disney Cinematic Mm. Universe. And I thought, because it's true, and it showed a link that each movie, and it was doing the six degrees of separation through six Disney films, how they all linked. Um, Like, Mm. you've got Tangled and Frozen linked, and 
um, yeah. Toy Story and Up are linked, and Monsters Inc. is linked to another one, but they are all linked in some way because of these little yeah, there, there, there's, there's, there's a uh, there's not there's a stretch between all of them that, that they can be mm. linked, but I think I think we've talked Toy Story to death. Yeah, I think we have. Um, <laughs> I, I don't want to give I, any way just more sort of spoilers. Bring bring it to a close, but Toy Story is a is a fantastic uh, franchise and. And one that I think many people, you know, who are listeners as will have watched uh, and will have um, enjoyed. Uh, and it's entertained generations. Um, so that was Toy Story, uh, Sam's first choice. And we're going we're gonna to move on to second choice. And this is one I know he'll love talking about. And it's actually, we're going to talk about the WWE. Now, the World Wrestling Entertainment, or the WWE, has existed in one form or another since 1953. Owned and operated solely by the McMahon family, it has grown into not only the largest professional wrestling company in the world, but also one of the largest media empires in existence. It has produced timeless classics over the years, from matches to set pieces to megastars like Dwayne The Rock Johnson to John Cena in the present day. Sam, tell me why the WWE? Why not? No, um, seriously, for me, growing up, I was the misfit at school. Um, I was the lad who was kind of alone quite a lot of the time. And for me, I had two brothers and two sisters growing up, uh, still do, but like who were predominantly there and they loved wrestling. And I mean, loved, um, one of them still does a lot. Um, the other one, not so much, but for me, I would sit with them and watch Monday night raw or Friday night Smackdown. And we'd sit for hours discussing, um, Mick Foley and his many characters. We talk about The Rock and what he was cooking and and those classic um, catchphrases that some of them have. And for me, growing up, there was a guy um, who's still around now called Stone Cold Steve Austin, and he was the one who made me truly fall in love with wrestling. Um, and in WWE, was, he was this guy who hated authority. He was the guy who told... Um, Vince McMahon to go do one in a, the most politest way possible on this podcast. Yeah. Um, and that was what I wanted to say to my teachers. I was not so great at school um, and I wanted to turn around and give them a stone cold stunner. I never did. Uh, there was, there was a few teachers who pushed me to the point where I felt like I was about to, but, uh, but the thing was, it was my escape. It's my, it was my place to go. Okay. Forget the bullies, forget the homework. I'm going to watch wrestling or, or read the um, WWE magazine. Well, back then it was WWF magazine, and throughout the years, and got to a point where um, I, I, we know you know this very well. But um, I actually trained as a wrestler for a while because I was like, well, why can't I do it? I was doing performing arts at college at the time, so I thought I could put that into it, build up a character. Um, I'm quite creative-minded with that type of stuff, so I thought, why not? Uh, and it's been a thing throughout my life since I'd say the age of three or four was when I was sat on like my brother's knee and watching someone be choke slammed either out of the ring or through the ring or pinned one, two, three from an easy move. And I thought it was amazing. I look back now and think some bits are so comical, but actually some bits are so cleverly written that you can actually sit there and go, wow, I could be that character. And uh, like you said in the previous uh, episode about Spider-Man, how for him, anyone could be that character. Quite a lot of the wrestlers are the same. How 
you can kind of take a step back and go, I could be the undertaker who is the phenom, the guy from Death Valley, or I could be the rock, the guy who's got the, all the charisma in the world. And sometimes I wanted to be those characters because I didn't want to be myself. And it was my escapism. Um, unfortunately, due to injury, I couldn't carry that on. Um, but I've not lost my love to the point where I'm even involved with a podcast at the moment. Um, I'm part of their social me. I'm part of their social media team, and also I've been invited to be a guest every so once in a while. And it's a, it's a lovely thing to be involved with, and it's a I'd say to the point where it's a hobby of mine, um, wrestling. And the wrestling scene at the moment in England is one going through a transition of change, and the one in America is being affected by good old COVID. But it's still great. They're still like putting out amazing content no matter what. Raw has been ongoing. It's the longest running television episode program in America in history. Like there's not one that's beat mm-hmm. it. And I I find that truly amazing that there's a fan base so big and it goes on to WrestleMania, the fact that every year there's a WrestleMania. And except for this year, because of the rules due to COVID, their crowds are massive and hopefully one day I'll be in that crowd. Um, and if you want to come along, James, that'd be great. Um, Cause I know it'd be great, mate. <laughs> but the thing is the thing with wrestling, it's that place where you can forget yourself because you want to be someone else. Or even if you don't want to be someone else, you can watch and enjoy the art. And before we go on, if someone says it being hit over the back of back with a chair, is fake. It's not. I had the bruises. Being slammed <laughs> through the table, yeah, they might be slightly damaged so it's easier to break. They still hurt. And getting a kendo stick round the back and especially on the back, the top of your neck, that hurts. And I'm evidence because I had that while training. So it, it's funny when people says people say that WWE is fake and it's all thing. Well, I leave that to you to decide, the listeners. Uh, it's not my place to decide if it's fake or not. I know some moves aren't. Yeah, and and you know, not just the WWE, like you said. There's there's a whole other world of wrestling around. You know, there there is um, British wrestling. There's Japanese wrestling, which I know you know has a huge in Japan. It, it's almost like a cult. It's it's something that they they adore. They absolutely adore, and it's the same in America. It is like I said, it's a media empire. It doesn't only span wrestling. It's moved into uh, films, video games, t- other TV shows, um, American football, not so successfully. But they've done it, you know, and they've they've proven that they can do it. And no matter what you think of the McMahon family and, and their sort of who they endorse politically and, uh, you know, all that, they, they've done it. And, and not only that as well, they've given way to yes we've talked about the megastars like the rock stone cold john cena all these but other voices as well you know that if you if you do a bit of research and you, and you look into the work um people like titus o'neill are doing for communities in, in america and uh people like the new day you know elevate who, who are able to elevate black voices you know kofi kingston becoming the first ever black world champion on the surface level, it doesn't mean anything because like you said, it's scripted entertainment. He was scripted to win. You know, he and his opponent would have known beforehand that he was going to win, but 
that means something else because there'd never been a black world champion. And that shows how much it means to people because if it's, 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 I, I described it to a friend once because they asked me why do I like wrestling? Why do I like something that's fake and planned? That like I said, well, think of it as EastEnders or Coronation Street. Yeah. For some people, they love, like, um, shall we say, Alfie Moon back in the early 2000s for a character, how everyone loved him as a character. Well, I love The Rock. Um, and everyone loved um, oh, a, a character from Coronation Street. I don't watch it that much, so I can't even try and think of a character. No, I can't um, either. But um, Roy, the, Roy, who goes to the Rovers, I think his, his character is called, and he, um, the thing with him, like people love them, and it's like when it comes to WrestleMania as an example. When last year, I remember sitting there as a white man. I wanted him to win, not because of the history, was basically with how he won. Me as a white man, mm-hmm. I loved it. Yeah, I thought it was amazing because of his wrestling abilities but I have friends who loved it for the other reason yeah how for for them they sat there and cried because finally they were being heard mm-hmm. and it's a bit like the exact same two characters of Daniel Bryan and Kofi Kingston being on EastEnders and finally Kofi Kingston winning the keys to the the Queen mm-hmm. Vic it, it sounds stupid but it's true yeah. How, for me, I watch it as sometimes as a soap. I watch it as something that is a constant story. Yes, I know that parts are scripted, but some parts aren't. And that's what I love. There was a a, a true example is WrestleMania 31. There was a match between Randy Orton and Seth Rollins. Part of that match was not scripted. They were told you have this set amount of time to go out there and perform a show stealer. And I believe they did. It led into, for me, one of the greatest moments in the WrestleMania history of a move. We went from one move to another. And that was all off their own back. That wasn't, oh, we sat down for hours before the event and planned this and did the move over and over again. They didn't. That was on the night. That was there in front of thousands in I think it was San Jose or San Francisco that once told you that was in San Jose and in the San Francisco 49ers stadium and they made the whole crowd just explode because they had that moment where they created such a beautiful iconic scene that people will look back and use in video packages they will use an example of Two men knowing their craft and doing it and not worrying about, could this fail? They did it and proved that they can. And then that also leads on to another reason why I love wrestling is the fact that you see these wrestlers and they go out and they prove that it's definitely not fake in some ways because they have injuries, real life injuries. And you feel gutted that they are injured. They they could be off the three months, six months, nine months, a year, and you're edging for them to come back. And when they come back, you pop. And for people who aren't so much uh, wrestling-minded, 
uh, a pop is when you go crazy for something you make a big shout out and for for me a pop would be like finally Alfie coming back after being off for two years in EastEnders people will go wow and for me that's when a big move happens or a wrestler comes back who we thought was going to be retired for the rest of their life and they've completely surprised everyone I think and it's the the best example of that is 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 Edge this year in in January he, he returned and for those who don't know in 2011 Edge had triple fusion neck surgery and was forced to retire from wrestling. And if you were, if you were a child in sort of the, the, the late 90s, mid-2000s especially, you would know who Edge was, you know. Even if you weren't a wrestling fan, you'd know the names Kurt Angle, Edge, Eddie Guerrero, Rey Mysterio. Uh, and for me, when I, when I was younger, I didn't watch a lot of wrestling, but I knew Edge, and Edge was my favourite because he was cool and he had a best mate called Christian, uh, and they would perform all these amazing tag moves. And then when I was... Um, when I was going into secondary school, which was in about 2009, um, I started like watching old Smackdowns and, you know, I'd watch amazing matches of the edge. And then I got invested in sort of edges in journey. And then when he was forced to retire and he came out and gave this speech about, you know, he was, uh, retiring, his neck could no longer, uh, you know, function the way, uh, and then a few years later, he was inducted into the Hall of Fame. And then I, I'm not ashamed to say that I cried because this man that I'd watched put so much into a business that he adored was, was gone. And then when he turned up at the Royal Rumble this year, his music hit and I I was beside myself because this man had, had conquered triple fusion neck surgery. And I urge you to look into that and show you how serious it actually is. He... I actually... Go on. I actually cried myself uh, because for me, he wasn't the first favourite person who I grew up watching, but he was one of those ones who you constantly wanted to win. Um, Unless he was against your favourite wrestler, he was one of the, the group of five or six wrestlers who you wanted to watch. And his moves were ones that were iconic, like the spear. For me, the spear is one of the most iconic wrestling yeah. moves ever. Mm-hmm. Um, it's up there with the Stone Stunner or the Last Ride. And the thing for me, I cried and also woke up my wife. I was um, <laughs> watching wrestling, yeah. watching the Royal Rumble in the same room, and she'd fallen asleep and said I could watch, stay up and watch it because I thought, right, well, I may have work in the morning, but I don't care. Mm. And I remember waking her up because I shouted so loudly, yes. And it wasn't actually so much that way, up. It was crying. She thought I'd fallen out of bed or something. <laughs> but it was through pure joy, the fact that he'd returned. There'd been a ru- rumour very, very like late last year saying that he could come back in a manager yeah. form, but not that he... I, th- I think that formed of A lot of people will know Edge as the actor Adam Copeland um, nowadays because he's... He, I think he's still currently in. I don't watch the show, but he did a stint in Vikings. Um, he was in one of the, and he's been the in- early seasons of The Flash. Um, and he's done a, f- a few other things as well. But them, them two will definitely, you, you will recognize him from. And I urge you to find the video, but you look at his face when he comes out. And there's, there's two videos that currently make me cry uh, as a wrestling fan. It's that video of Edge coming out and you see just for a moment, he goes from Edge to Adam Copeland, who 
who is a husband and a father um and you see he he's looking at all these people screaming and cheering for him and he thinks this is for me you know i've worked for for nine years to get back to where i am and he's in good uh, he he retired in okay shape he had a bit of a pot belly he was still amazing at the ring and he comes back and he's he's well into his 40s and he's ripped you know there's not an ounce of fat on mm. him and you think that's a man who has worked so hard and the other video is it actually goes back to the Kofi Kingston point uh there was a wrestler called Shad Gaspard who recently passed away saving his little boy from drowning uh, just off the coast of LA and Shad was part in the WWE in, in the mid 2000s um and early 2010s of a tag team called Crime Time with his partner JTG. And there's a, there's a video of him and JTG in a bar watching WrestleMania when Kofi Kingston won the title. And as soon as that bell rings, you can see tears falling down his face because he was a, he's a black wrestler who's worked for years and years and years to get to the position where Kofi Kingston was. And unfortunately, he, he never made it. But to see Kofi Kingston, a man who entered the WWE as a, as a sort of a semi-racist stereotype, you know, with a Jamaican accent and, you know, that was a sign of the times. By his own fault. By his own fault. And, you know, but that was to appease the people above him because, you know, that's what the wrestling mindset was in, that everyone wanted these these old stereotypes, you know. And as much as I love wrestling in the 80s and the 90s, they were horrible. You know, they, they were horrifically racist stereotypes. And, you know, I'm very good friends with... Um, and this is really, really specific. I'm very good friends with a, with a former professional wrestler called Crisis, um, who was part of Progress Wrestling um, for, for a very brief period of time before he went back to his life as a pro rugby player. Um, and he said choosing his gimmick w- w- was, was hard. And, you know, he, he, he was luckily had a very supportive community around him. But I can't imagine being someone who's black or Asian or an ethnic minority choosing a gimmick because you know, imagine having to become a a semi-racist stereotype of yourself just to appease a majority white audience who think this is funny or this is not. When you have wrestlers, uh, I can't think of any off the top of my head, who are pure athletes. Here's one, uh, Apollo Apollo Crews is a pure athlete of a human. And that's his gimmick. He, He is a fantastic wrestler. You've got Shelton Benjamin, who was a Who's a former like uh, Greco-Roman wrestler? You know that's his gimmick. And Chad Gable, Chad Gable you know the, the, these people. We, we we're lucky in an age now where we're smart enough to realize that stereotypes don't make good content. And I think I th- I'm I'm thankful we're in that age. And I I I I I, I literally couldn't like agree more because there's a they have a thing called be a star. Yeah. Um, don't be a bully, be a star. And it's true because um, quite a lot of the wrestlers will use their own life stories. And uh, I remember hearing a story once about even Triple H when he was at school, because he had broader shoulders, he was kind of picked on because he was a bit weirdly shaped um, compared to all the other boys and lads at school. And he took that and actually kind of used that in his own way. And then one of his first characters was called Terror Rising. Um, and then he then became Hunter Hearst Houndsley, who was this post aristocrat that he could then use those broad shoulders to kind of walk around holding his, his port glass, looking posh, 
because he he knew his structure worked with that style character. But if he came out trying to look like some folk from deep deep South America, he wouldn't have pulled off that character. And it's like you say, trying to find that gimmick. Like I remember when I was training, I was constantly thinking, "Oh, I'll play this character. I'll play that character." And I uh, trying to play on words also because at that time everyone had a name that slightly could have played on stuff. Mm. And quite funny enough, your last name's Reese. Mm. Well, at one point I was actually going to try and make a character called Mister Reese, mm-hmm. and it was going to be yeah. a master character because if you say it quick enough, it says Mister Reese. And I, funny enough, I think I actually but, own that mask now. Yeah, yeah. you do. Uh, I, I, I passed it down. Um, but like for me, like that was hard enough. And you do look at some of these characters and Dwayne The Rock Johnson, I can use as the main guy who has changed himself and for the better. Mm-hmm. He, he started mm-hmm. off as Rocky Mal- Malvia. Rocky Malvia, yeah. Character. And then Rocky Johnson. Yeah, and, and he, was, he came out with this uh, once again, stereotypical, but he had almost like tribally things hanging around his neck, and he was like, "Oh yeah, oh yeah," and jumping around for the audience. Would that have sold as a character who got the role of the Scorpion King, or the guy in Jumanji, mm. or in Hobbs and Shaw, or the, the, in the um, Fast and Furious franchise? I don't know. I don't think so. But then he became this charismatic people's champion, as he called himself. The guy who lifted one eyebrow and made all the girls swoon and all the guys want to be him. And there's that classic saying, um, you want to be that guy who the girls want to be with and the guys want to be. And The Rock was that guy. And he, he, I would say he's a self-made man in that way. He saw that 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 original character, the Rocky Malvia character, who wasn't going to pick up and work that great because it was of that time, that, like you say, those characters who were very much of that era compared to mm. what they are now. Like, you look at some of the characters, like Ultimate Warrior, if you've got that character now, a guy who runs to the ring, runs around the ring, when he jumps into the ring, he then grabs the ropes and shakes mm. them and feels like he... For us now, it looks like he could be the Duracell Bunny or someone on an energy drink, like, and other batteries are available. Mm. Um, but, like, the thing is, that, that wouldn't... That wouldn't work right now. That wouldn't sell. That wouldn't make money. But then... Uh, I, you're okay, you're okay, you're fine. You're fine. Sorry, barking. Um, so yes it wouldn't sell it really wouldn't like for me if I sat and watched The Ultimate Warrior now I wouldn't buy it but by Seth Rollins as almost as an arrogant preacher of the Monday Night Messiah Mm -hmm. I do I can see that because that works in nowadays because it's almost got a very small little drop hint of American culture of the way who people who believe Donald Trump, yeah. who follow Donald Trump, is that he's the leader and he has his followers. Seth Rollins is a Monday, Monday Night Messiah who's an egotistical maniac who has his followers. But I love him for yeah. it. And I love that way that I'm able to delve into those stories 
because I believe them mm-hmm. compared to if you had some of the 80s big muscle men steroid style characters who were bigger than lifestyle characters I wouldn't buy it I would sit there and go this is just a comedy I'm watching Live of the Apollo done via WB yeah. it's, it's, it's one of those and, I, and I think so, you've put forward the, the notion there that WWE is more than a surface level thing it's more than just you know two men or two women in a ring performing for, for someone's entertainment it's at the heart of it is a narrative driven performance as well as a character driven performance as well. It's, you know, there's a reason it has a huge following and, and even the hardcore fans who go to, to indie shows in the UK and, you know, become a community is because they see beyond the surface level, they see the people in the ring and, and, and why they're doing it and and the narrative behind it. And they get behind it because, you know, you, you watch a film and you watch a Marvel film and if you say to yourself, that's not real or that's not accurate, you're not going to have a good time. You know, and if you do that with, with wrestling, you're going to, you're going to be the exact same. And, and I have one more question to ask you about wrestling is if you had to recommend a show to get someone into wrestling, what would you recommend? Recommend a show. Um, I don't know, to be honest, because for me, I can think of, I could say a WrestleMania, but they are long. They are long. I could say a Monday Night Raw, where they are still long, but they are brilliant. What I would say is, if you want to start off watching wrestling, get yourself on the WWE Network. It is $9.99 a month. Well worth it, because it has everything from last week's episode of NXT to a WrestleMania 1, to WrestleMania 2, WrestleMania 3, to the Royal Rumbles, SummerSlam, 92 um that was in Wembley, Wembley yeah. arena back when it where well, went back when it was uh, Wembley, Wembley stadium, stadium back yeah. when it used to have um the two towers instead of what it is now the uh, the lovely arch thing they've got and um i'd maybe sit and watch nxt because it's what some people view as the step below wwe's main shows of raw and smackdown but they have amazing I'm going to say characters because they are are. at the end of the day, but they are amazing performers. There's a man on there called Adam Cole. And for me, he is amazing. I remember him when he was on the indie circuit and I remember what he is now. And he's shown how a guy can progress, but not forget who he Mm -hmm. is. Um, And I think he's one of the next big, 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 big stars. Like you've got Dwayne, the rock Johnson. I do truly believe he could work outside of WWE and inside WWE. Um, but for me, it's a two-hour show that people can sit and watch. And, yeah, you can skip forward or skip back, and it's brilliant. And if you like that, then watch it. And if you start with WWE Network, you get the first first month free um, and do it before the next pay-per-view. Because then if you want to, you can watch a pay-per-view, but it's for yeah. free, so it doesn't cost you anything. And if you want to, at the end of that month, unsubscribe, unsubscribe. Or you start paying the nine ninety nine a month, and it's well worth its money. I think as well, the, the one of the, the few things the COVID-19 pandemic has brought is WWE has actually put a lot of free matches on their YouTube channel as well. So even if you know, you're know you hesitant oh, yeah. to do the free trial, go on YouTube, go on WWE's YouTube channel, have a look at some matches, look for people you like. I think NXT is a brilliant starting point because 
it's considered the developmental region of the company, but also for many and for me included, it's the gold standard of wrestling and storytelling um, in in wrestling. And then, you know, if you if you decide that you're a fan, I highly recommend seek out your local independent promotion. You know, as Sam said, there's there's a lot of uh, inner turmoil and stuff in the British wrestling scene at the minute, and and people are getting uh, rightly so called out on certain actions and I'm not here to talk about that, but look at their matches and look at and see how passionate these fans are and see like I could be one of them because, you know, I'm a passionate Star Wars fan. I'm a passionate Marvel fan. I'm a passionate wrestling fan as well. You have passions and it's okay to like them. And I think breaking down that stigma of people liking professional wrestling is a, is a very important thing because at the end of the day, it's a, it's a show like any other thing. Like you said, it's like a soap opera, you know, it's, it's like a medical drama that that, that's it at the end of the day. And and, and wrestling is important part of my life. And evidently, as we've discussed, an important part of yours. And I think that's a good place to take a break. Um, And then we'll go on to talk about your final two topics, which I'm very excited to talk about. So we're going to take a quick break. And we will be back shortly. And we are back with Sam. And we are going to discuss his final two choices for today. Um, it's only been a few seconds for you guys, but it's, it's been about 20 minutes for us as I try <laughs> to sort out audio files. Um, so we are back with his final two uh, choices. And the first one we're going to go straight into is the band Queen. Now, Queen originally formed in 1973, composed of four men, Freddie Mercury, Brian May, John Deacon, and of course, Roger Taylor. They are one of, if not the biggest rock bands who, ever li- who have ever lived, selling close to over 300 million records. Now, nothing was ever boring with Queen, never ones to shy away from the spotlight. And tragically, the world lost Freddie Mercury in 1991, and soon after, in 1997, John Deacon decided to retire and cut ties with the band though Roger Taylor and Brian May still tour alongside the likes of Paul Rogers and Adam Lambert. Sam, explain to me why Queen. Why Queen? Well, back in 1991, uh, I was born uh, the same year that the great Freddie Mercury died. Um, And I was brought up by a brother and sister on music of their choice. Um, More than anything, because... I was too young to go out and pick my favorite CD or something like that. So I listened to what they listened to. And my brother was very much a uh, rock fan. My sister very much a just Queen fan, pretty much. Yeah, she did like other bands like Pet Mode and R.E.M. and other bands like that. But nothing quite like Queen. And for me, I wasn't just liking them for being my brother and sister's favorite band, but being my own favorite band because... I could equivalent myself to them, uh, to, to the music, because um, there's a, a song called uh, Don't Stop Me Now. And it kind of, for me, was like, don't stop me now. And the lyrics in it were telling you to stop this, not stop that, don't stop this, don't stop that. And it kind of was like in life, like for me, I'm on the go. and. You can you can tell for yourself, mm-hmm. James. I am an on the go guy. I'm not one who likes to sit down and that. I think the saying is ants in your pants, and I'm I'm that guy. I I do have ants in my pants. I do have Spanish feet, as that saying goes. I, I like to get up and move and 
not just stay in one place at one time. And that was a brilliant song for that. And my one of my favorite songs is One Vision because not so much because of the lyrics, but for the fact that I can easily just sit down, be it I, in a bad mood, good mood, happy, sad, uh, tired from a long day at work. And uh, I currently work uh, on the front line uh, in Dorset County Hospital uh, in the, the surgical department. And some days it can be very stressful and to come home or even walk home listening to the the greatest hits of Queen kind of makes me forget the world and I can zone out and One Vision is my favourite song because though the lyrics I can't say I sit there and go I can relate to this line on this line I can just forget the world because it's such a good song and that was the same with I think probably every single one of those songs I've ever heard in my life I've enjoyed for some reason or another um, and there was a musical called We Will Rock You, uh, named after one of their songs. Uh, and I can fully admit, I definitely went to see that musical at least six times, and of which two of those times were in the same month and actually the same week, because I thought, why not? I'm up in London. It's my favourite musical. Um, another musical has tried to come along and beat how much I love that musical, and that being the soundtrack of Hamilton, but it still hasn't beat queen's uh, we will rock you uh, written by ben alton um and i believe brian may was part of the writing team of that as well and he was indeed um the thing for me was that musical was brought out through the power of the songs of queen but telling a story that maybe it would have been written by freddie himself and maybe he would have had that idea or maybe had a completely other idea about where the songs were coming from and yes, we'll never know that now, but I just truly loved the power of that musical because it made you feel so good about everything because you could be one of those characters in the musical who were based off of a song. Yeah. Um, one of the bad guys, uh, he sung the song Seven Seas of Rye, which for me when growing up was a classic back of the car with your brother and sister on the way up to your grandma um, singing your eye out to but then in this the musical it was used almost as a villainous song always I've got capture of you and it's the power of the songs like they were written so many great ways that so many different mindsets can like be used for it like it could be used as an uplifting song for the birth of a child they can um, they can use another song for the sadness of someone's death and a tribute um, for weddings. I've been to weddings, numerous amount of weddings, using Queen songs in different ways, in be it acoustic versions or the usual versions that you didn't think about until then. And the, there's a the song, Mr. Brightside by The Killers, is a classic one that if it's played on the dance floor, everyone goes to the dance floor yeah, while I'm like that with every queen every song. queen song. Yeah. It could be a really slow one of who wants to live forever, which is a very sad song to, um, I want to break free. Either one of them, I'll dance, go on the dance floor and dance along to them or sing along like at the top of my lungs because that's how beautifully they've been created by a beautiful and amazing band. I think 
you know, Queen is a band that sort of transcends time and it, it, it's existed across many years and across many platforms. And of course, last, uh, last year or the year before, you had the, the feature film come out, um, which, was, which was a fantastic, uh, fantastic film, a bit divisive on, on Freddie's life. Um, but you can't deny its quality and, and its, its tribute to Freddie as a performer and Rami Malek did, did an amazing thing. And, and I think your, your, your upbringing of Queen was uh, not too dissimilar to, to how a lot of people would have been brought up on Queen. You know, my father's a big Queen fan. He had all the albums and him and my mother went to see uh, We Will Rock You in 2005. I was unfortunate enough to never see it. I've listened to the soundtrack many times. But it, but it, you know, their music is is one of of pure joy, um, and something that should be celebrated. Um, and a lot of props has to go to to, to Freddie as, as a writer, as well as Brian May, and um, I think a lot of people forget John Deacon and Roger Taylor, but the, all four of them are together. They created these masterpieces of music, uh, and yeah. Rightly so, they're celebrated as the greatest rock band of all time. And I, I think um, also, like, the thing for me is some of their writing is before their time. Like, the lyrics in some of the songs, if you actually look at how politics is now and how um, life is now in the world, you can equivalent them even more to nowadays than you could... Yeah. back when the songs first came out. Um, but then you can understand where some of the writing was from, that actually it was written because how that's how Freddie felt. Uh, even in the movie, you see how he came up with some of the songs. And it's a beautiful way to actually realise how stuff is created. And Bohemian Rhapsody is, for me, one of the greatest uh, films of all time. And I, I have been... I understand that some people won't enjoy it, but for me, it was not just because it was a Queen film about Queen and the story of um, Freddie Mercury, but it was so beautifully created and like so well acted. Like for me, at points, I forgot I was watching Rami Malek, yeah, who was who's also known for being uh, Mr. Robot, I think it is on uh, Mr. Robot, yeah, and of course of um, and other other fame as well. Yeah, and he uh, soon will be playing the when the film finally comes out. He'll be playing the the villain in Bond. Yes, but during that film, I, I from what I understand, I, I please ca- uh, correct me if I'm wrong. He never actually sung anything. He all um, lip synced mm-hmm. to Freddie because he yep. didn't want to give a um, a performance that was trying to be he wanted to be the best he could be so he decided with the production team and the creation and directors that actually he was going to leave it to being dubbed as freddie's voice because he didn't want to be an imitation he wanted it to be him and i think it was a beautiful touch that when you watch that film at points his acting you actually thought it was he was singing and then you realize no that's freddie's voice yeah um and the, the, the other thing for me about Queen and Freddie Mercury is that the sadness behind it all, that two of their songs, one of the songs that came out before Freddie died and one that came out after, are two of the most beautiful 
and this my bad English, but brutalist creations of music ever. Um, and you look now and go, they're beautiful songs, but if you actually realise that one was just before he passed away, uh, it was one of his, one of their last songs they um, recorded, and one that was after uh, that came out after that Fred didn't feature on. Yeah, and it breaks my heart, but they are two of the best songs ever, and it's it's beautiful. So, yeah, it, it there. I I personally believe they're a timeless band, and that's probably one of the reasons why they're my favorite band of all time. Reason why I've got a tattoo devoted to my favorite song of all time, that which is One Vision, and I'll happily admit that I uh, I have listened to that song on repeat. And I mean on repeat for a good three hours when I was going through my GCSEs, I'd sit there trying to write my homework and it was on repeat and yeah. repeat and repeat because I was that much of a nerd that I knew word for word inside out. And also it ends with the words fried chicken uh, <laughs> and chicken is a big part of my life. You know, there's so much, even away from sort of the music as well, that like queen that did, you know, uh, 1977 you know we will rock you we are the champions find me a sporting event that doesn't use them two songs you know uh bohemian rhapsody is the song that helped popularize the music video if it wasn't for that you know that song the music videos wouldn't be sort of the way the way they are now uh, and how essential to an artist platform um you you You've got the infamous, you know, you can't talk about Queen without talking about Live Aid. And that Live Aid performance has transcended generations. It's, it is the epitome of Queen. And, you know, when you research the story behind it, you see why it was only a monumental thing for the country and for Live Aid, but also for Freddie Mercury as a human and as a performer as well. So I, I and I and I you know fully believe that Queen will keep living on as other artists do, and and one other artist I have a huge admiration and I'm a fan of is Elton John, and you know a lot of the times people make comparisons and uh, compare them two together, but I think that's wrong. You should you should celebrate both artists and their legacies, and um, but but you know, your relationship with Queen and, and when I met you and we talked about your tattoos and, and your love of, the, of the, the music and song is simply just fascinating. And one other thing, I think your choice of music doesn't define you as a human. You can be a Queen fan and be black, Asian, of an ethnic minority. You can be white, you know, you can be a bloke, you can be a girl, you can love musical theatre because that's what Freddie Mercury was. He was a, an amalgamation of so many different cultures, mm. you know, and, and you look at Freddie Mercury's past and, and it, it, it's quite weird because those who, and I, I don't want to stereotype people, but I know a lot of people who love the band Queen, but then forget Freddie Mercury was, daughter, was the son of immigrants. He was a mixed race uh, man who was also, you know, inherently uh, homosexual or bisexual, mm. you know, he is the epitome of everything that this sort of stereotype of a British person hates, but they will listen to the music. And I, 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 there's a the song "Who Wants to Live Forever" um, 
that I loved that he wrote and proving how his background really didn't care how their writing didn't care if you were black, white, rich, poor, mm. uh, you loved men, you loved women, you loved both. It didn't care. There's the lines, there's no chance for us. It's all decided for us. This world has only one sweet moment set aside from us. Yeah. How poignant that is in life. Whatever happens, like in a way, everything is decided for us because of taxes, of um, politics. Yes, we can go and vote, we can do this, we can do that. But there's always that moment where you'll always have the hatch match and dispatch. Um, mm. They say about jobs that will never go out of um, life because they're inevitable. And that thing, that line that says, this world has only one sweet moment set aside from us. I've actually sadly been to two funerals that have had that as part of the eulogy. Yeah. But then not sadly, because it's true. Um, I know my father, when he passed away, um, it was one of the songs I listened to because I remember him telling me, one of his last words ever to me were, remember the memories. What great words to have as the last words from your father before yeah. he passed away. And it's true because I know that he would, if he was sitting next to me now and say a few more last words, he'd probably tell me to listen to this song for that part of the song anyway. Because yes, he was riddled with cancer, yet he knew that that was his sweet moment that was set aside for him. Yeah. He was very much in that, that belief that he was destined to go in a certain way. And when that time came, that was his moment. And he viewed that as very much for him. But then it didn't mean that that's the same for everyone. No. But it's that moment, the, the sweet moment set aside for us, that hopefully when that day comes, we do go up to the pearly gates, wherever we go on after we pass away, and however we pass away, that there is a moment of pure bliss because whatever's going on in the world, there's that. And I, mm -hmm. I think the writing that Freddie and Brian had done is just so beautiful that it doesn't care what background you're from. Like the band, the, the, band, the dance group, Diversity, well, mm. I think diversity would have been a great name for Queen. Yeah. Queen weren't called Queen. They could be called diversity because they wrote so diverse, diverse for everyone. And it, they didn't try to, they just did. And that's probably one, another reason why I love, and love, 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 love Queen. So that was... Uh, Sam's third choice and that was Queen uh, a really great choice and uh, as all of Sam's choices have been so far um, you know three choices that I I truly love all three now we'll move on to Sam's final choice and uh, one that I'm actually very interested in because it's not one that I don't think we've ever discussed uh, as friends but something that when talking to you it makes perfect sense actually um, and something that I love, and I think a lot of people, uh, both our ages, will remember and, and a bit older than us, and that is the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And they first appeared in 1984 uh, in a comic book based out of New Hampshire. Uh, since then, it's dominated 
popular culture, especially in the in the late eighties and the nineties, with films, television shows, video games, toys. It follows the journeys of four anthropomorphic turtles and their rat master living in the sewers of New York City, battling the evil Foot Clan led by the dangerous Shredder. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is a huge part of uh, sort of the uh, people people's childhoods, and rightly so. And Sam, explain to me why Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Why the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? Well, basically, when I grew up, it was on probably every day on BBC uh, and on other channels, but BBC. And I couldn't sit down and word for word tell you about every single episode. It was more about the five main characters. You had the four turtles and then their sensei. And it sounds weird that I thought I was all four of the turtles and my dad was a sensei, but I'll explain why. Yeah. Leonardo uh, was the guy who was the leader. He wore the blue bandana, uh, bandana around his head or eyes, depending on which version you're watching. And he was the one who led the team because he felt it was his job to. But also, he was brilliant at leading the team. So I was always a leader, a natural-born leader. And I'm not just saying that out of my own head, I was always told I was the natural born leader. Mm. Uh, and then you had uh, Raphael, who was the kind of, no, I can do this on my own. I, I'm, I don't need the rest of the team. Okay, come along, and if you want to help me out, brilliant. But always wants to be the leader, because sometimes in life, I wasn't the leader. Yes, I may have been the natural born leader, but I wasn't because someone else had to lead, but I always wanted to be the leader. Then you had... Michelangelo, who was, for me, as someone who grew up with ADD, attention deficit disorder, and also had traits of ADHD, attention and hyperactive distraction disorder, that I personally was all over the shop energy. Mm. He was like that. And also he loved pizza. And I was that kid as well. But then my favorite of the turtles, Donatello, the nerd, the, the tech, the guy mm. who could do any computery stuff and seem like it was natural. And I was that kid at school who would be sitting, sat in the ICT room all lunchtime because I found the latest game or stuff like that. And I was able to like amalgamate myself into all four of the turtles. And they were led by the sensei and with Splinter, he was so wise and so wonderful, but also had that a few moments where he'd use his little walking stick as a, like, yeah. as a hitting brush and going, stupid boys. And that was my dad. Yes, he never hit me, but he had that way of speaking that would make me go, mm -hmm. oh, yeah, okay, sorry, dad. And for yeah. me, dad was Splinter. And Shredder sounds weird, but Shredder was all my bullies because my dad taught me how to fight against the bullies without actually using physical violence. He, he did the whole classic kill them with kindness or um, I'll befriend them. They might actually realize that they shouldn't bully you. And yes, yeah, sometimes it didn't work, but dad was always the splinter to my four Ninja Turtles. And the fact that you also had Casey Jones, this guy who came along in a hockey mask, who was slightly mysterious, I thought was awesome. And then, April, the, the, the girl, I loved. I, I 
it was my first cartoon crush, I fully admit. <laughs> yeah, everyone's every, had one. Ev- everyone's had one. I'm sorry. Yeah, if they say they one. haven't, they, they're lying. Some people had it was the female bunny from Space Jam, and some people said it was um, Jessica Rabbit from Who Framed Roger Rabbit. But for me, it was um, April in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. She wore a gorgeous um, yellow jumpsuit yeah. and with ginger hair. Quite funny enough, I'm now married to a ginger lady uh, who looks <laughs> great in a jumpsuit. Um, haven't tried on a yellow jumpsuit yet, but yeah. we. But she has said it would be a great uh, costume for a fancy dress party. And it, the thing is, throughout the years, that came out so many years ago, yet it's so enjoyable still. And I remember in my first ever job at Toys R Us, um, God rest its soul, um, one of our TVs, because I was in the multimedia department, had continuous episodes on repeat because a film was about to come out um, where it was a bit of a modernized version, but a new remastered version. And I used to be able to, by the end of the day, say word for word the whole of an episode but not in a bad way because it was so good writing that you actually believed you could be running alongside the Teenage Mutants. So it was because yeah. you felt I could be one of them. And it was, it was great fun. And I, I at work and a classic one for having earworms where a song gets stuck in your head. And the other day I was humming the theme tune to this mm-hmm. and four or five other people, both male and female suddenly turn around and go, Teenage in Teenage in half shell, total power, because mm. they knew the, the words. They, they were able to go, ah, oh, and we sat for a good half an hour on our lunch breaks, reminiscing about the different versions throughout the years, be it the recent movies that were absolutely brilliant to the early cartoons or even the, the toys that came out and the fact that no matter what, there was such brilliant creations of it. And everyone had their growing up cartoon. And for me, that was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And they have had their different styles over the years, but they've always stayed as the four same character names for the turtles and the colours. They've never changed. And um, Splinter, he's always, as I've known of, has always been a rat, which Mm. is interesting that we look at the rat normally in life and it's this dirty, rotten, like vermin character yeah. but in this cartoon in this creation we see him as this very wise very going back to your um, love of star wars yoda like character who has all knowledge and all power i think it's so clever how it was um, cleverly written by it and you made you make a great point there about um, people's entry point into into turtles because I said it's been it's been here since nineteen eighty four and I, and it got me thinking what was my um, sort of entry point into teenage mutant ninja turtles and I actually I had to go look for it and it was the PS two game it came out two thousand and three and it was based on the the animated series at the time and that that was my entry point and that was my where my love of turtles came from and. It's a it's a TV show I'd happily go back and watch, you know. And I've watched the the two um, films that came out recently, uh, and I've watched uh, the the old live action stuff from from the eighties and the nineties as well. And it it's such it's such a great concept because you take 
these turtles, which are generally considered slow and a bit, you know, boring, and you turn them into these ninjas, and and you know what, what's you know not cool about that, and you have their like you said, this this rat who's socially considered a, a vermin, and you make him a wise sensei, and then you've got you know Casey Jones who's who's a vigilante, not in the sense of like Batman where he's he's, he's a you know a big millionaire. He he's a he's a bloke with a hockey stick, you know, who regularly gets beaten up. You know, he, he he's not he's not a a a, a god who who ne- you know a, a thug never lands a punch in him. He's a he's a vulnerable man, and and then that that's brilliant. And the turtles is something that I think will live on and still does. I know it's still got a huge cult following um, among among fans, and there, there's currently some great comic books about. And and I know for a fact that there's there's no doubt a film in the works or another TV show in the works. And um, I thoroughly look forward to the day where turtles are back in the mainstream again. Um, mm. actually, I tell that there is a, there is a film out recently as an animated film where, where they meet Batman, you know, so it's transmedia. It crosses over and meets all these amazing other characters because that's the power mm. of, and the longevity of, of this franchise. And I, fully wholeheartedly agree with you that they are one of the most important pieces of uh, media in the past what 30 40 years now mm. and that's the thing like the the creation of them i, I it's another one of those classics same as background back to toys r us and uh, toys r us and toy story but toys r us was a, a factor that the toys from mm. the cartoons have done so amazingly like i remember as a child, wanting to get their little, like, their car or their minibus type of thing. Yeah. And then being the person at Toys R Us selling them. Mm. But the same as Toy Story and at, um, and Star Wars, when they were created, I don't think they were ever created with the mindset of, yes, these are going to be lifelong characters that everyone will love for years, blah, 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 blah. They weren't. They were never created that way. No. But they've become that way. They have become cult classics. Like um, teen, uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle t-shirts are one of the best cult TV programs, like designed because they've got so many different versions. In the last two years, I think I was reading. I was when I, I was doing my own little research for this podcast that um, they were saying about figures of like certain like designs of retros, like some websites that sell retro t-shirts, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle logo and others were um, of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle um, franchise were used as the most designed t-shirts or hoodies or memorabilia that people wanted to do. Or if people wanted to design their own t-shirts with logos, they were the most picked because it's so prolific. Like, People have their own like connotations. Like for me, it's how I felt. I was the four turtles, and my dad was uh, was Shredder, and not Shredder, but it was Splinter. But how one of my friends, for him, he saw himself as wanting to be the fifth turtle. Yeah, and he used to come up with different names every time we played and pretended to be the turtles. He'd go, "Oh, I'm this, I'm that, I'm this, I'm that." I'm thinking, "You're definitely not," but okay. Mm-hmm. Because that's how the the fun was. Yeah, of course. And, you know, 
it's exactly the same. We, you know, I, I think if I if I was to do another episode on my own, and and one of the properties I talk about would be the Power Rangers because that was a huge part of my my childhood, and and I still can easily go back and and quote, you know, quotes and morph and sequence because that's what sticks in your head and you know you either wanted to be the red ranger or you made your own one you know as countless times i played with my mates and we'd pretend to be you know the gold ranger the new one that turned up or you you know you'd want to be the red ranger or in my case it was always the blue ranger um but i th- I, I absolutely loved when you texted me that turtles was one of your um because it allowed me to go back and, and sort of look at my childhood and um, especially that, that game, the 2003 one, um, really good PS2 game and, and it's just something that filled many hours of, of my childhood and I think that's a great way to sort of cap off your four picks and, and I think it's been a really interesting chat and, and I really hope that people take the time to, to listen and to research what, you, what you've put out there because I think you've... Uh, has said some brilliant things today and I've thoroughly enjoyed having you on. And it's been a pleasure. It's been an absolute pleasure, mate. Like, um, when you asked me to be on it, it felt like an honour because um, I don't see you as a friend. I see you as someone who I have a lot of respect for and for you to be starting off this amazing podcast journey and you asked me to be a guest on it, it, I was like... (laughs) Thank you very much. And because it felt like you'd seen something in me that went, oh, I want to ask him a few questions here and there. So thank you. That's no problem. And sort of just to go back to uh, the podcast you do as well for wrestling, what's it called again? Uh, Pod of Revolution. Uh, we, this is what we have on all our social media. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also our website is www.podofrevolution.com. Uh, absolutely brilliant um go have a look go have a listen uh and we are actually uh wrr live which stands for wrestling radio revolution uh and for me it's it's a way to discuss wrestling without being too nerdy yeah no that's actually a lie it's really nerdy but in a good way and i'll be sure to link that for you definitely 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 so uh, this has been off on a tangent uh, with me, James, and joined by my lovely guest, Sam Mellows, today. Uh, this should be out soon, and I hope you all have a fantastic rest of the week, and I shall see you all very soon. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.